Let us remember the words of Psalm 118, 22 to 24. <clears throat> the same stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. On this day the Lord has acted. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I want us to think about and look at what, uh, what your spiritual regimen is. What is your spiritual regimen or your life regimen for that matter? Because all, all of life is spiritual, even though we tend to divide it up into neat little compartments. But it, you really can't do that. Any, everything is spiritual. The prayer, the collet that I prayed earlier, and it's on the bottom of the uh, lyric sheet. If you want to take that sheet home, you can pray that prayer this week. It says, praise for the Lord to grant us so perfectly to know. Not that we would just know, but perf that we would perfectly know Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life. That we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to eternal life. So... <clears throat> this prayer was written from a heart that was seeking to understand the big picture. Most of these prayers that we refer to as collets are written with uh, a large overall perspective of our lives and of the truths of Scripture and the practices of the church so that we might know what... Are, the end goal is and this is definitely a, a good prayer to pray that we would so come to know Christ and to know him in such a way uh, that it would transform us and change us so that we would be able to follow in his steps and uh, I think it's in James it says if you uh, if you continue to hold to the faith until the end, you know, and that's difficult to reconcile with the fact that we know we're saved by grace and not on any works of our own and that nothing can remove us from God's hand. But somehow those two seemingly contradictory truths um, are true and coexist together. It's a paradox. In the, uh, in the gospel reading that I just read, it's the in the upper room after Jesus had washed their feet and Judas got up and left after the, after the uh, cedar meal, the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Eucharist that Christ did the night before this crucifixion he uh, he said a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you that you also are to love one another and by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another so in that short in those two verses he says that the new commandment is that you love one another and then he explains how that looks or how that 
is to unfold as I have loved you. And how did he love the disciples? He laid down his life for them. He was a servant to them. He washed their feet. He had just finished washing their feet. You're to love one another. By this all men will know you're my disciples if you do this, if you learn how to love one another. So the question today is how, how does that happen? How do we reinforce this goal, this the command, this scriptural um, exhortation that we should live together as brothers and sisters, as one family, and to love each other the way Christ loved his disciples, the way Christ loved all people that he met. <clears throat> he, uh, he taught them to <coughs> love their enemies, which was a radical new teaching then, and it is now. It's, uh, it's counterintuitive for any person to want to love their enemy by very definition of enemy they're people that uh, are opposed to everything you hold dear in many ways in some cases uh, they want to kill you they want you to, to destroy you Jesus thought that we should pray for them and love them he, he taught many things if they strike you on one cheek turn the other cheek if they ask for your coat give them uh, uh, both of your coats if you have two and on and on the, the examples go of what Christ was trying to communicate during his short time here and as, a, as our teacher as our rabbi in his life here on earth so when you look at it all what do we do if we if we gather once a week and we sing a few songs we pray a few prayers we we hear a sermon and uh, we go back to our homes and we do that regularly for most of our life how does that change us what does that what does that form us to be? Uh, the fact that we are faithful to come together weekly, uh, or or, or uh, ever how often we're we're here, and while we're here, we sing songs, we listen to scripture being read, we listen to a sermon, uh, and then we pray some prayers, and then we go home. Uh, I guess how that forms us depends. It depends on the degree in which we enter into all those things. It depends upon uh, the content of the scriptures read and the sermons preached and the prayers prayed. And the Holy Spirit does work through all of that. <clears throat> but there are some today that are beginning to to reevaluate what church has been historically and ask is it enough is that all there is and if you look at some of the more historical churches as we try to is the part of has the one one purpose for the charismatic episcopal church is that we want to glean those true and 
helpful and important things from from all different streams of church history and if we look at some of the more historical uh, ancient practices of the church whether you look at the Roman church or you look at the Eastern church the two oldest streams of the church there's some things that are common there and and uh, one of them is a sacramental worldview which we seek to have and that helps us not to so compartmentalize our lives so that we have our Sunday morning mindset and then our secular or a normal life our work life our family life mindset but it really should all be intertwined and to be one and to, to, to embrace a sacramental worldview is to understand God works through ordinary everyday things to impart grace to us to speak to us uh, and a big part of that is through keeping and through establishing the Lord's Supper as the center of our time together and when we come together in community to, to make the receiving of the body and blood of Christ to be the uh, centerpiece of our worship experience and to, and to do it and to be engaged to do it in a a, a reverent and an expectant way uh, uh, to do it in a, in a manner that you are receptive to hearing uh, the voice of the Spirit that you are expecting to be aware of the presence, the real presence of Christ and uh, that we keep the table to be the center of our focus when we gather together each each Sunday. I think if we do those things that's that's a very helpful uh, part, part of our regimen as Christians. But I don't know that even that is enough. I think that there needs to be more. There needs to be somehow built into our daily life a, a practice, a uh, a regimen of of prayer, of meditation on scripture, reading and meditating on scripture, of of uh, serving others, of seeing our life primarily as a role of of a servant to whether it be our spouse or our children or our employee or boss or employees if we're in management or an owner uh, to our customers our patients our students whatever role your life is to see your life as a servant uh, to see others as being made in the image of Christ there's all these things that can help us to be formed so that we can when people see us, when they observe our lives, they'll see something they recognize as love. Um, that we would be obedient to Christ's command that we love one another. <clears throat> and by one another, he clearly did not mean just believers. He, he meant even our enemies. I found a... Uh, let me just share this. This is 
this helps explain what I'm trying to say. For, the, for those of us who follow Jesus, every road is a road to Emmaus. We're all on the road to somewhere, and he's with us, but most of the time we don't recognize him because he's hidden in the people we meet, in the events of our lives and that of the world, and even within ourselves in ways that we don't always feel. So for those who follow Jesus, every road is a road to Emmaus. But then, once a week, we show up in church, and in our community with others, we focus our attention on Jesus. We hear stories read aloud from his life and his teachings. Someone takes the time, as Jesus did for the disciples on the road, to interpret the text to us, bringing them into conversation with what's happening in our lives and in the world. Sometimes, when a person is speaking, we hear Jesus' voice speaking. We feel his presence. How does that happen? It's a mystery, but it's real. That's so true. But the amazing thing about this passage I just shared, which I believe with all my heart, I believe it's right on target, is I found it on, on this is part of a sermon that was preached by Bishop Marion Buttle. I don't know who Marion Buttle is. I've never met her. Don't know anything about her, but I came across this, and I and I heard Jesus speaking through it. I know enough to know that there's many things I would disagree with, uh, with positions that I'm assuming based upon the church she serves in. I'm making some assumptions about her ideology and. Some of her theology would be much opposed to views I hold. Does that mean that what she said is not true? Not at all. She has spoken truth, and I have to acknowledge her truth, the truth she has shared, and and honor her for it, and pray for her, and not pray that she be changed. Just pray for God to bless her. I think that's how we grow to love our enemies. If the people that we see is so detrimental to our American lifestyle, to our Christian uh, expression of, of what we view as important, even those that we feel are working to undermine that, I believe in the spirit of the gospel, we need to pray for God to bless them. It's up to God to change their hearts in the places they need changed. And in this case, when when it's a creedal Christian, it's a Christian who embraces the same creeds that we recite every Sunday, uh, there is might be a great more in common than there is, than we are sometimes aware of, and definitely more than we want to think about when we choose to concentrate on the negative and the areas that we are not in agreement. So <clears throat> I think one way that we can be formed to be more Christ-like is to, again, 
view every man and woman as in bearing the image of Christ and to sincerely pray for God to reveal himself to them and bless them and to, for their well-being and for their family's well-being and to do it with all of our heart. <clears throat> In the passage, the first passage that Brian read is a passage from Acts chapter 13. Paul is preaching and uh, he's preaching to the it doesn't say he's in the synagogue, but he's surrounded by Jews, preaching to the Jews primarily. But there are Gentiles observing and listening. And the Jews reject what he's teaching. And the Jews begin to persecute him. But Paul says, he even says, it's good that you have chosen to reject eternal life so that now we can preach to the Gentiles. He said to the Gentiles, he quoted, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now he could have been referring to what Simeon said, but I doubt it because I doubt if he had read Luke. I doubt if the Gospel of Luke had been maybe not even written at the time he preached this message. He's more than likely was quoting from Isaiah because the phrase, a light for the Gentiles, is found in at least three different chapters, Isaiah 42, 49, and 60. In three different uh, passages in Isaiah, that phrase shows up, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. At any rate, it was, uh, it was the word of God, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That's what uh, the scriptures read in Acts. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now that incident uh, that I referred to with Simeon was when Christ was an infant and Mary and Joseph took him to the temple for his for circumcision is what it was. So there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout. That means he was a good Jew. He was a devout Jew waiting for the consolation of Israel again, he, the Jewish people. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he had seen the Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So here was this Jewish priest, Simeon, serving in the temple. He was an old man. He'd been, he'd been serving his whole life in the temple. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. That's uh, 
sometimes referred to as the Song of Simeon. That's in Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> so uh, it was a fulfillment of prophecy, but it was the it was the implementation of the plan of God from the beginning. The story of God from the beginning was uh, that that Jesus would become fully human. He would be born and become a man and fulfill his uh, role as our Savior. So just. Uh, as far as being conscious of our spiritual regimen, we all have one, whether we ever think about it or not. It's like <clears throat> we all have a fitness program. Some people's fitness program is they eat everything in sight and move as little as possible. <laughs> but that is a fitness program. It's just not a very profitable one unless your goal is the early death but uh, and the life of, of disease and, and of uh, poor health. Now, some very healthy people get diseases too, so that being, being, <clears throat> being in shape is no guarantee that you won't also have to undergo the suffering of sickness and disease, but <clears throat> there are some things that we can help um, keep it bay by making better choices. I've having a, a better regimen, and I think same thing holds true in our spiritual life. I mean, if if me a couch potato couch potato decided one day, you know, I need to I need to do something. I need to get in shape. I I, I want to run a marathon. So I go down to the local CrossFit gym and I go in and tell them, say, look, you know, I've, I've never exercised ever in my whole life. I've never ran further than crossing four lanes of busy traffic. But uh, I want to run a marathon. It's, there's one coming up in nine months. Can I do it? And they said, well, we, we think we can help you. I said, okay, tell me what I need to do. They said, well, first... We've got a uh, we've got a show going on in the back room. Let's let's sign you up and get you into this show. So I go back in the back, and they've got this rocking band, and they are just rocking out to songs about being in shape, getting in shape, the greatness of being in shape, and we're everybody's all pumped up about getting in shape. And then they have this. Uh, this amazing speaker get up and speak for about 45 minutes to an hour on telling you everything you need to do to get in shape and how to get in shape and the benefits of being in shape and then it's over and I'm, I'm like okay I'm great I'm sold what's next and they're like come back in a week and so I come back in the next week and they put me back in the room and there's another concert and another speaker and I go back home. And I come back the next week, there's another concert, another speaker, and I go back home. Am I gonna be ready to run that marathon in nine months? No way. Why do we expect church to be that way? If all we do is show up on Sunday and 
have great worship, have great preaching, and go home. And we don't do the work every day. You know, we don't eat healthy. We don't get up and move, start training our body. We'll never be in shape. Now, that analogy breaks down. It's not a perfect analogy to our spiritual life, but it makes a point. Jesus talked about farming and gardens. There's great analogies there, but it all comes to daily faithfulness, of being diligent day by day. It all comes to being in a very real relationship with the creator of the universe. And I think that's the starting point. And that until we have that foundation that we get our heart set on seeking it as we prayed to, to perfectly know Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that everything else we do is for naught. One of the Psalms says, if the watchman, you know, if, I can't quote it, but it, the point is if you're, you get up early and work all day in vain if the Lord's not the builder and the architect. So Psalm 145 that we read this morning, and there was two Psalms optional. I forgot to tell Brian before service that I had planned on reading the, the other one. But sometimes the lectionary gives you options. And today we had 148 or 145. But <clears throat> 145 is an especially good prayer and Psalm to wrap our heads around what God is like. The first three verses say, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So right off the bat, we recognize that God is unknowable in, in, in his entirety. We, we'll never know all there is to know about God. He's unfathomable. His greatness is unsearchable, but yet we can know him as he is revealed to us through his word and through Jesus Christ, his son. The most perfect picture of God is Jesus. It goes on in verse 8 and 9 that says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Is that what you think about when you think of God the, of God the Father? Of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is good to all, verse 9 says. And I think in the Hebrew... When it says the Lord is good to all, what they really meant was he's good to everybody. All is everybody. Jew and Gentile. And if you, when you say Jew and Gentile, you're, you're covering every human being that's ever lived. Because every human being born on this planet was born as either a Jew. If you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. So, yeah. He is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. 
So all of creation is covered by the mercy. That's the God that we are seeking to know perfectly. 13 says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his works and kind in all of his works. Another place it says, the Lord is one. There's no other God. There's no one like you. It's like that the prophet say is like, I looked and I searched all over heaven and earth and there's no other God like but God. There's just one God. There's just one king of kings. And we are serving a king in the kingdom of heaven. The Lord opposes all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all of his works. We serve a good God. Verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Another psalm says, He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. And it ends with saying, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, but let all flesh bless his holy name forever. And at the end of the book, we get the final picture of what God's like. Revelation 21, 6 says, It is done, as Brian just read. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There's nothing beyond God. There's nothing bigger that existed before Christ did or after Christ. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And this is what he's like. This, this sums up who God is in one sentence. Revelation 21 6 to the thirsty to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment that's what God is like he provides water of life to all who thirst without payment he, he paid it for in full so, final illustration. This is a poem attributed to the great mystic St. John of the Cross. I saw the river over which every soul must pass to reach the kingdom of heaven. And the name of that river was suffering. And I saw a boat which carries souls across the river. The name of that boat was love. Let's stand together and affirm our common faith in the Nicene Creed on page 358.